now tuned into the most unpredictable podcast on the World Wide Web. Yo. about to shut it. Shut it. It is another episode of Said Loud Podcast, and today, for all my teacher folks, you know who this is. Um, but for the rest of you guys, you're going to learn something today. This is uh, Dr. Goldie Muhammad, uh, who is the author of Cultivating Genius and also, I don't know, just an all-around wonderful person who's taken their time to uh, sit with us and kind of educate us on the work that we should be doing as humans, as parents, as everyday learners, and then uh, for the educated educators us too so Lee, thank you for being here thank you sis i'm so honored how are to be you here. i'm doing great it's a beautiful day it is a beautiful day it's so nice so can you tell everybody a little bit about you if they haven't met goldie muhammad yet sure um i am a teacher a curriculum writer a professor um among other things um but I started my career as a middle school teacher, um, like you, teaching middle school, sixth and eighth grade. I skipped seventh grade. Ah, <laughs> oh, see? I said something happens in seventh grade, and I don't know. I just ended up not teaching that grade level. And I've, I've taught ELA and social studies. Um, I've been, I'm from the Midwest, and I'm back in the Midwest now as an associate professor of language, literacy, and culture at the University of Illinois at Chicago. And in between that time, I've also um, been a district administrator over curriculum and instruction, a reading specialist and coach. And I've authored the book, Cultivating Genius, an Equity Framework for Culturally and Historically Responsive Literacy, um, dedicating that book to New York City teachers um, because I did a lot of work and continue to work and support the teachers and students and administrators there, I think, you know, it's a beautiful city doing wonderful uh, things, <laughs> equity work. And, um, you know, I, I just work and strive every day to not just cultivate genius within the minds and hearts of our children and our teachers, but also joy. And so that's that's a little bit about me and some of the work I've been up to lately. Thank you so much for that. I think the word that stood out for me most was joy. Mm -hmm. And what popped into my mind was like, well, I don't remember going to school in elementary school or middle school or even high school and mm -hmm. a teacher saying anything regarding joy. It was kind of mm -hmm. like, sit here, do your work. You don't get to choose. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is what I have for you to do today. Just do it. Um, how do you think the mindset of education should change around that and, and cultivating joy? You know, I, I think traditionally we have been uh, thinking about school uh, in limited ways, right? As just mm -hmm. test prep skill development only as prep to um, apply for college and, and not enough prep for life. You know, in life, I have to know myself 
in addition to the skill development. I have to know new knowledge, new things about the world. I have to have consciousness and know how to navigate hurt, pain, and harm like racism and how to understand it, navigate it, and disrupt it. In real life, I need to claim and reclaim joy. And so I, I take these things from history in my work, but also for from life and what we how we really cultivate humanity, you know, and take some of those same ideas and practices that we need to do that we practice in our lives as adults and bring it into the classroom. So moving from just being a space to um, nurture student skill development, but also to nurture their identity development, their intellectualism, their consciousness, and their joy. I want children to have an, to experience joy in the classroom, not only to experience it, but to learn about it, learn what is joyful in the world. How is what I'm learning connected to beauty, aesthetics, uh, solutions, truth, and justice, all of that is very joy giving. And, and so the, my model and curriculum is pushing toward that and moving away from these traditional classroom and school settings. That, you know, the importance of joy is one of the things that is just very important. Traditionally, schools have really been spaces to nurture student skill development only, to nurture test prep, and helping students to get into college. And that those are all strong goals. But in my work, I use historical excellence from Black communities, and I just use um, what I know about what it means to be a successful adult. <laughs> right. As an adult, we also, we need more than just skill development. And life continues on after college. We need identity development. We need to know ourselves and know each other. We need intellectualism. We need to know things about the world. We need consciousness. We need to know how to name and understand and navigate hurt, pain, and harm in the world. Racism is one type of hurt, pain, and harm. We don't need to just know how to understand it and navigate it, but to disrupt it, to interrupt it so that other humans are not feeling any source of unwarranted pain. And we need to know how to claim and reclaim joy. Joy is important for students in schools to not only experience joy, but to learn about it. They need to learn the beauty in the world, the aesthetics, the truth, the solutions. Uh, this is what makes a more holistic education. And so I'm always in my work and in my model of curriculum, I'm looking across more than just skill development, but how do we uh, also include identity work, consciousness work, joy work, so that joy is at the center of children's experiences in schools and classrooms. They, they have they, they, they experience a sense of beauty, fulfillment, elevation in schools. I mean, and that's what we would want for our own sons and daughters. We want right. a joyful experience, not just uh, strategies and worksheets and test prep, if that's not joy giving. So how do we connect learning to the world and to the beauty in the world? That's what joy offers. I love that. I Like I said, I don't think, I don't remember a time in my life where I felt that at school. I felt I and what as an educator now, I see a lot of students who have not learned that yet. And so when you're asking them to think 
independently think on their own think about their identity what they feel what they think they tend to have answers like i don't know because most of the time someone has told them how to think and what to think and what to feel right and so they copy whatever you say on the board or whatever you have taught them but they don't really know how to I, apply that to themselves and um and i think that's sad i think that's sad because you want to you know while like you said while we have a lot of opportunity for test prep and things of that nature a lot of students are artists and musicians and scientists and they might learn differently and they're going to show that differently and so everyone's path is not the same and so creating a space where they can learn about that identity and those options is healthier um to me uh so thank you for that absolutely how did uh cultivating genius come about and and what was the vision um you know i i was doing a lot of work in new york city and helping um cultivating genius was in my mind before it was a book <laughs> and for 10 years before cultivating genius i had been researching um in the archives looking at historical artifacts and writing and coming to a model the model became what's in cultivating genius and i started to live my life by this model my teaching by this model I started to train teachers and administrators of this model because they understood equity and culturally responsive pedagogy but they did not know what it looks like in practice in mm -hmm. everyday curricular lesson plan unit plan leadership practice. And so I was always writing and thinking and thinking some more about what a book can look like capturing um historical black excellence where i got this model from capturing this model where teachers can pick it up in a very practical way and read it in one day in one week i i was very intentional about that and so i started writing cultivating genius over time and mostly writing it in my mind and i saw that teachers in new york the largest school district were really taking to the model and loving it and using mm -hmm. it and expanding it. And so, you know, I started to talk uh, to God, <laughs> to myself, to my family. I said, maybe it's time to put it all together. And so that's what I did um, in, in company of, of our ancestors and reading. Um, and then also with teachers throughout New York City I started to think through this work and put it all out. And the book was not initially called Cultivating Genius. Um, really? Yeah, it my editor Lois Bridges at the time with Scholastic, she just she just fell in love with it. Almost where she wasn't really giving me a lot of like hard edits. I'm like, "Lois, you got to edit it harder than this. Must it can't right. be like good <laughs> as is." <laughs> And so yeah. she says, oh, I'm just falling in love with the language. And I just feel like there's genius here, genius. I said, well, yeah, it is genius. Our ancestors used the word genius a lot in, um, in their language and in their newspapers and in their writings. And so she just says, I just feel like this model is like summoning the genius from uh, mm -hmm. children. And so, you know, we thought summoning genius was the first uh, thought. 
And, but you know, I didn't really care for the word summons as it linked to like the justice system and right. what the system has done to our people. So I didn't really, my spirit wasn't really singing toward summoning. Um, but it was for cultivation because to cultivate something takes work. It takes a, a stance, a role. You know, we, we are nothing but mere cultivators of children's genius. We just water it. We just nurture it. It's already there. Right. You know, and so it, it became this sort of like metaphor of cultivating genius because our ancestors were so genius and yeah. they started with genius. And, and so it was sort of um, this way to sort of honor the ancestors, but also honor the children and that, that genius that's already within them today. All children have genius within them. Wow. So sort of how the title came. And, you know, when I write, people who know me as a writer, it, I write in my mind for many, many years. And when I write, it just comes out. And that's what, because I'm always thinking, I'm always mentally writing. And it just comes out. And I loved it. And I just hope that people felt that it was as beautiful as that I felt it was. Um, and that's how it came about. I love that. I love it so much, Goldie. I feel like it means so much more to me now that I know the idea behind it and the love behind it and the energy behind it because um when you put the two together you're like yeah i get it i get it um and 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 the book is it is genius it is genius and it wasn't a hard read and it didn't feel like it was racking your brain to figure it out it felt like you could do this you know and um i appreciated that because sometimes you read a book and you're like well how am i supposed to do this <laughs> like in theory it sounds good but you're like right. how, how do you want me to do this? yeah right. and i you know i'm a practitioner and i teach all the time children and i'm always like i need to always know the what the how the do yes. you know like i can't theory is important we need theory you know my sister bettina love always says that you know, we need theoretical perspectives. We need to understand why we're doing something. How how did all this happen? Um, and, and in addition to that, we also need the practicality. What do I do with theory right. and with the history? Mm -hmm. Right. And then especially for me, now we're going to like touch on subjects that people may not love so much, but especially for me, who is a woman of color and a pedagogue of color, I'm like, okay, I read theory books and I'm like, well, maybe this will work in a school where all of the kids don't come, you know, don't have issues at home, are not dealing with whatever, and they have all these resources, but how do I execute that in an environment that may not have that? right where yeah. my students might need a little bit more care they they might need a little bit more time they might need me to be warm and loving and not just say okay well we're going to spend our whole entire 42 minutes on this and not five minutes on me acknowledging that you're a person and that you had a rough morning and you know and sometimes for me reading some of those books i'm just like this is nice in theory <laughs> but how do you execute? And I felt with Cultivating Genius, you made it executable. You made it a cookbook for teachers. That's uh, how you made it. That's beautiful. <laughs> I can't <laughs> <laughs> Neither can I. And that's what I'm saying. Like, it was like, okay, here, I'm going to give you everything you need. And I'm going to tell you how to do it. Right? And so I think that's what we appreciate. Well, that's what I appreciate about reading something that I was like, okay, this is applicable. And this is executable. Um, so thank you for that. Um, 
So what do we need to do differently in education, specifically around students of color and being culturally responsive? Like, what do we need to do as a country? What do we need to do as individuals? And then for the parents listening, what can they do? Well, I think what we need to do is know them. You know, a lot of a lot of teachers that I've worked with, when it comes to children of color, black and brown children, black children, we don't really know them. <laughs> we know who they might be today, but we don't know their ancestry, their histories, their history with liberation, their people, how their people have created genius and joy across time. And so then when we don't know them, we rely on the standards and the curriculum to tell us what they need best. And the curriculum writers and the standards writers have not done their research on the beauty, the brilliance, the genius of our children. And so they might start the story off with enslavement or they might start the story off with civil rights. And it's like, who were we before people started oppressing us and coming in to colonize and hurt us? And that's just one example of wrong you know, black Americans and Africans. So, you know, the first thing we have to do differently is, is start with teacher education programs of getting to know who we are serving and teacher ed programs, making sure that there's a course on getting to know ourselves, our own ideologies, our own racism, our own sexism, our own self-oppression. It's all been conditioned inside of us. We just need to name it and unpack it. And teacher ed programs need to start by making sure culturally and historically responsive education is not just in one class, one diversity class, but it is the program. (laughs) The program is it. And it's it's threaded throughout the theoretical classes, the methods classes. Um, We need classes on curricular design. Yes, yes. Like artistry design. I'm not talking about like, First, you do your uh, um, anticipation guide. Next, you do your body of your lesson, your closing. No, that's too structured. That designers and artists don't think like that. That's right. Um, So I think when we have better teacher education and then we have policies and standards and curriculum that also look different, teachers can then and leaders can show up by getting to know students deeply because you cannot teach and lead who you don't know. Right. And then we're in better positions. And after doing the self work, we're in better positions to teach and lead. And so the most, the book is really this practical model of telling teachers and leaders that every time I teach and lead and practice, I am cultivating a child's identity, a sense of knowing who they are, who they're not, who they want to be, but also teaching them about the lives of people who are different than them. Right. And I'm also teaching skills and state standards and proficiencies needed um, for that grade level, for that um, content area. Number three, I'm teaching children into intellectualism, academic success. Number four, I'm teaching criticality, teaching students how to name, understand, navigate, d- disrupt oppression, hurt, pain and harm. That's what I call oppression, define oppression. And then number five, I'm teaching students to experience, but also to understand joy and beauty and truth and solutions to the world's problems. That five part model 
again, that came from the ancestors, um, is the practical model and approach. And for the parents who are listening in, I am training parents. I started with Staten Island and Manhattan and parents across the country of how to engage in music lyrics, short stories, read alouds, picture books, films, um, anything that we would engage and read and watch at home and listen to like podcasts. How can you engage in um, that sort of like, how can you watch a film together, a movie with your child and ask, you know, questions around those five areas, you know? And so I'm also doing like really fun, engaging um, parent um, pursuits around those five areas. And, you know, parents have been enjoying it and loving it. It was really just warm and engaging um, sessions within our parents. So they're taking what teachers are doing in the classroom and doing it at home. And it's been lovely. Um, I love that, Goldie. I'm down to volunteer whenever you need me <laughs> okay. um, because I really do feel like um, when you're a parent, nobody teaches you how to parent. And there's so many big parts of it, right? We have to deal with the colds and the school in the morning and waking up or whatever and the day-to-day -day life. But we don't really have conversations around, or at least I did in growing up, much about education. It was, how is school today? right yeah. and do you have any homework right. and um <laughs> now raising my own children um and and having and and in some ways being somewhat privileged to be able to go to college and grad school and be able to share my experiences now we have those conversations and yeah. this past weekend it was so interesting because i got in the car and we drove to boston this weekend and my son was like mom can i watch the ipad and i'm like bet do whatever it's four hours and he was watching the new colin kaepernick um series mm -hmm. on netflix and so i'm listening and then i was like okay let's pause right so the teacher in me turned on and i was like okay let's pause let's unpack this what's happening here right mm -hmm. how, how do you connect with this and as a mm -hmm. young man who um you know colin kaepernick clearly is makes my son is mixed so i was like well how do you identify like how do you see yourself and he was like well i'm afro latino and i was like okay well what does that mean right and having those conversations with your students and with your kids so that they know who they are and when they walk into that school building someone's not telling them who they are they're like firm in who they are and i think parents can do a lot of that work in ways that they don't exactly. even know they can do they're that probably already doing it like you are you know, we got to understand what we're up against. Our children are being told messages directly, indirectly, that they're not beautiful enough, that their body isn't like uh, what it should be, whatever that is, that they're, um, they're not smart enough, their skin color, their hair, their dress, their personality. You know, they're constantly being sent those messages. And so, you know, this is why identity really matters. And it's at the start of my curricular model, my teaching and learning model. I love it. I love it. How do, how do someone listening to you say, well, I want Goldie's curriculum or I want those ideas in my school. How do I find a place for my child where they are going to get that? You know, they just, <laughs> I think you advocate and you say it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I've been doing that. I, I have not written like a whole school curriculum, but I work with teachers uh, and some teachers work with me. Some, some just read my book and they take the model and they readapt and modify their school's curriculum without right. me. 
sometimes they invite me in and I coach them through how to readapt and modify your school curriculum or write your own curriculum. So that's what I've been doing for over 10 years. In some schools, their whole curriculum, they have readapted and modified it with my model. They have written it for my model. They didn't wait for publishing companies or anybody else. Uh, they just wrote it. And, you know, I think in the next years or so, I, I'm going to push to write my own curriculum to give teachers something. <laughs> yes. There's been so yes. much time rewriting it. Yes. Yeah, I'm just kind of looking for the right avenue. And, you know, hopefully yes. that comes sooner than later. I mean, we modified, we took, we took the book and we modified it to what we're using right now. Uh, but I do think that there is a value. I do, th I've, I've worked in a school where they went by the book. And so they taught exactly by the book. And so if it did, if it wasn't in the book, they weren't going to teach it. And um, yeah. I, for me personally, I felt like I don't work there anymore. Um, it wasn't culturally responsive. It wasn't reflective of our students. It wasn't reflective of the times that we lived in. And I was just like, how are kids supposed to um, build any connection to this when we're teaching them curriculum that takes place in 1922 and they don't really care to read a book that's a uh, hundred and something years old or whatever the case may be, if there's no way to, and this is not social studies, and there's no way to have a connection with it, you know? And so sometimes with curriculum that happens. I mean, mm -hmm. I've been in New York and see a New York state exam say well so and so had a chapter and how many bushels and i'm like we live in new york city don't nobody know what a bushel is <laughs> you know and so you know we assume that that should make sense but how does someone make connections with something that they have no ideas about no relationship with and you know is outdated yeah. so i well and that's the first thing right can i connect is it relevant my work goes, my, my work builds upon relevancy. The relevancy, the relevancy has to be there in order to get to my curricular stages and model, right? But if you cannot see yourself and see how it connects to your life, um, where you can breathe in the curriculum and the ideas and, 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 and even if there's no direct connections, how can we make these connections? But if that's not there first, it might be hard for students to engage. And when they don't engage, they get called names like struggling and unmotivated. And I don't think that's ethical or fair. And if a curriculum was not written for children in the Bronx or wherever you are, if it wasn't written for the lives of these children here who are going to be served by this curriculum is very unethical. And that's what I want to move away from. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's an opportunity for educators and administration to say, okay, how can we build that bridge? You don't got to rewrite the whole thing sometimes, but where are there opportunities within this curriculum to build relationships with our students, to build the knowledge, to think about our situation, where we are and how this can potentially be a bridge into making sense for them and they can have a relationship with the content. Or it just seems like, why are we reading this? Why are we doing this? It, when am I ever going to use this in my life? Exactly. And, and that's a fair question. Those are fair questions from a child. They must be able to see the purpose and how they might see it in the world. Or what's the point if it's just going to show up on a worksheet and they don't see where it's going to show up in the world, you know, let's do right by children. Let's tell them authentic purpose of why they're learning what they're learning and where they're going to see it show up in the world. I think that's fair.
I, I think it's a fair question for a student to ask too. Um, I tend to I tend to talk a lot, so I always overteach. I'm like, well, this is why we're doing because that's how I learn. That's how I yeah. learn something. I'm like, tell me it. Yeah, like tell me why we're doing it, and so I, it makes sense to me. And then when it makes sense to me, you're like, all right, I could bust it out, but I, it needs to make sense. But and I think I you, sis. Some teachers don't know why. Some teachers I work with, they, I remember working at. Uh, in the science department at, I think, one of the largest schools, high schools in the city. And one of the biology teachers said, I, I don't know how to make these connections to the world. I, I just know how to teach the skills, to teach the content, but making it, make the, making those connections to the world and to equity and justice, I have no idea how to do it. They need to read Cultivating Genius, and then I could tutor them. Um, you need to discipline more. You need to uh, discipline more. You need to be a scholar of your discipline. I think. I think also that. Um, I think that's that can happen to an educator because some of us have, are in spaces and in life where we're just like. What do you mean? There is no connection. What do you mean? It's just in the book. We just read the book. It's very surface. And there's some people that they just look at the surface and they're like, let's do it. They're not looking at the depth of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think when we think about genius and we think about cultivating, when I think about cultivating, I think about digging and turning over soil and it being fresh <laughs> and rich and healthy. Right. And that's what we're doing. And so we're making those connections between my life and why I'm learning this and why this is important to me and why we want joy and why we want justice and why I need to know how to do math so nobody robs me and takes advantage of my money and that I'm really quick and can calculate numbers and share with other people. And and I think there's always an opportunity. Me, Maybe I'm speaking like an educator, but I think there's always an opportunity mm. to make a connection. I think there is always, and, and this is from someone prior to being an educator was a salesperson. It's the same way you sell. Yeah. Right. It's the same way you sell. You're going to sell something to someone and you're going to look for an opportunity or connection to what they need. It's the same thing being an educator or even working with your child and saying, OK, this is what you need. Let's make a connection here. Why do you need this? How do you need this? And how can I help you? Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds very common, like right, common sense, like or natural and organic what you're saying. And that's what education should be. It should feel very uh organic to living and to life. And we should be preparing students to read and write and think like mathematicians, not just worksheet filler outers or test takers. We should be teaching students how to read, write, and think like scientists, like activists, like advocates. You know, like what people really do in real life is what we should be bringing into the classroom. Other than that, if we don't, it just feels contrived and students are smart enough to know when mm -hmm. it is contrived education and when it is authentic and purposeful. I agree. I think they know. And um, there's certain things that as much as I can teach you, I cannot. And I think students feel that they feel when it's not organic. They feel when you're not being your authentic self. They feel mm -hmm. like when you're when you don't mean what you they know they know a lot but they know you, you know, we don't love them when we tired <laughs> we really don't want to do this when we do want to do this <laughs> they know they it know. all they know trust me they know and they know when they're comfortable and they know when they feel like they're in a space where they're being nurtured yeah. um and 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 i think that's fair i think that's fair and i think sometimes we look past that right because mm -hmm. we want it to be so much deeper it's not it's not they're showing you 
what they think and what they feel and you just have to be in tune to that um i don't have you very many more minutes goldie but um what do you uh what what's next for you what's next um you know just continuing to rest and to breathe and drink water (laughs) (laughs) that's really what's next because and and being open you know my next is being open to see what i'm supposed to do or be or how i'm supposed to think next i mean i stopped planning as much (laughs) and just start being just open to see what i'm supposed to do and it will and and I will know, like it would place in front of me in a very clear direction, you know? And so, you know, what I'm doing, I'm do I, I am involved in like some cool new projects, you know? And um that that's been taking the model to different levels. Um, you know, like I'm working with Spotify right now and we're thinking about making like playlists of equity, diversion, inclusion that, you know. I think people there can think about when it turns when it comes to marketing and business, like what you're saying, you did all this, you thought about all these things naturally. Mm-hmm. And so are they. And then but also lyrics and music that that teachers can use as anchor texts in the classroom in terms of their pedagogy. Um, the I'm I'm in my mind, I'm writing the next book and um, that will center more joy and the how to, you know, if cultivating genius is the foundational text, how, what will be the next text to move forward into like the how to really do this and make this work. Um, and I'm doing a lot of curriculum work, sometimes just on my own and sometimes with schools and just trying to um, bring these rich experiences to my students at UIC and giving them an opportunity to learn alongside of me. So um, yeah, all these things. Um, I have new ideas, so many ideas, I can't hold them in my head. <laughs> you know, like I just, I wake up and I'm like, that's how my mind works. Oh, I got, you know, this, this would be this, this, this. And, you know, I sort of leave them there. And when the time is, it's like I dream them up. You know, so much I have sort of dreamt up in my mind, but I don't get to enact it for years to come. So I think that's been the process of my own creativity and my own work is is just dreaming it up. And when it's time, it'll be time. I think that's a wonderful way to end the show. I feel so empowered having spoken to you. Um, I feel re-energized. I love when you said the whole interview is dope, but I love when you said, no, the next thing's water and rest. Um, Because (laughs) I found for me that I was best creative and we talked behind the scenes. I found that I am best creative when I am well rested and in a healthy space. Um, That will make me, the podcast, the writing, I do, I read audio books for Audible and um, do the audio part of the audio books. But I'm most creative when I am at ease and I am well. And um, I think that is just as much as important as all of the work that we do. Um, you yeah. also, in this conversation, I've been writing a screenplay for eight years because my kids used to play softball and I don't like softball. So I would sit in the car and I would write. Um, and recently I was like, you know what? It's time to write. It's time to actually like put it together. So um, yes, I understand. Sometimes things just have to be there until they're ready to grow, right? We have to plant our seeds and wait for them to grow. And I appreciate that. And so I can't much. Read it. <laughs> Thank you.
thank you. It's, it's, it's good. It's good. So good. Um, and I tried to protect it for so long. I was like, no, I don't want to share it with anyone because it's such a good idea. And I would write and write and write. And now I'm ready to like put the pen to the paper and get the script done and get it out there. So, um, okay. yeah, that's where that's where we are. But thank you so much for taking the time to meet with me, Goldie. Yes. I appreciate all the work that you're doing. I appreciate your time today and all the energy that you shared um, with me. And I am a fan for life. So uh, <laughs> I'll be around. Thank you, sis. Thank you for all that you're doing. I'm glad I'm matching the, you know, the theme, the pink. <laughs> <laughs> it's always and just pink. thank you. Thank you for having me. You know already who's in this bitch, in this bitch. Live. 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 Live.